0: Good morning, PT. Thank you, Pastor Brian, for that introduction. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to talk to, with you this morning about, about work that has been on my heart sort of almost forever. As you know that I grew up in this church, and, and I'm a child of the 60s. So issues of justice have been important to me most of my life. And I just wasn't quite old enough to join the crowd at the marches because I was still in high school. But this has been a passion of mine forever. Social justice, biblical justice in particular, has been a passion of mine. So first, let me just take you on a, give you some, what I'm going to be doing this morning. And the reason why the question of why, why should PT care about Cambridge? Because I know and recognize that historically the church from the beginning of this country was central to the development of cities and towns. You know, we think that the church was, you know, was always doing good, but it was more than that. It was an influencer, to use the words that we use today, as well as being influenced as change began to happen. Then I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about the city of Cambridge. We are in two campuses, and the more I Think about our being in this particular setting on Magazine Street, the more I realize and the more I feel in my heart that this is that we were called to this spot, not just to serve more people, but to have a real role and influence in this city. And so I'm just really glad to be able to share some of that. And then I'm going to just make a modest proposal about what I think we should be doing next in terms of moving in areas of biblical justice beyond what we've been doing. I also had a secondary um, topic, which was, was, because I couldn't make up my mind. So it was called Beyond Serving the Poor, Fatherless, Widow, and Immigrants, and that we know that we're called we know. I mean, in our my, my basic sort of text for today, says that we should be caring for the widow, the fatherless, the um, uh, the poor, and immigrants, and that we should feed them. And so this church, and many churches, but in particular this church, we have continued to move higher and higher in that realm, that we continue to really think about how we can help feed people. We have pop-up pantries we've collaborated with other agencies particularly in the port neighborhood so that's something we've always been doing but i'm also grateful this year that we've had a chance to spend the entire year looking at biblical justice and and some of the topics that we've looked at and that has really blessed me we we've talked about environmental justice you know uh, I, as I was listening to uh, the speaker that Sunday, you know, my, um, my father swam in the Charles River as a boy. So all along the Charles River, people could swim in it. By the time I was old enough, it was a basically toxic waste. And so that you couldn't swim in it. And instead of small swimming holes, what we had was MDC pools all up and down the Charles River. And so I'm glad that I understand that the river is cleaned up enough that maybe we can do a little swimming. I'm going to wait until my friends go in and then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to put my toe in there. Because we would read about, you know, somebody falling in or a police officer once. I really remember Um, somebody went over. He went in after them and he was in the hospital for three weeks. And I was like, yeah, it's that dirty water. Um, so we've looked at economic justice, we've looked at food insecurity, and it really blessed my heart that our brother Saul talked about when the Israelites left Egypt, that they struggled with food insecurity. I never thought about, thought about it that way, but that was exactly what it is. We've talked about the poor, we've talked about women's rights, we've talked, we've you name it, we have talked about all of the issues that are of importance. And so I want to be able to Move us to a next place. Um, this month's calendar, if you um, if you've seen it, it says for November it was politics. I'm really glad that we're doing it now and not a few weeks ago. But we've already voted. But politics is always ongoing. And when I say politics, it's not the big politics, meaning we're talking about people are running for office. We're talking about politics with a little p. It's the everyday work. It's the everyday. Um, call that we speak to we have um, politicians who serve the city and we need to support them and pray for them we have folks who are running agencies feeding the poor clothing and providing food those are important and it's politics because it's the it's the body politic it's all of us together um, engaged in this work when I first started doing this search um one of the challenges I I felt, because growing up in this church we always knew that we were to serve the poor, the fatherless, the widow that we were supposed to do that. And as an immigrant church, which we were, we're like ninety nine percent Barbadian, we knew that it was really important. But it came from me anyway. I always thought it was really part of our love. It was Christ's love for us that then we should serve. You know, it's the Matthew 25, 40. When, when um, Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was cold, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to, to drink. Then the folks responded with, the righteous then answer, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty? Well, when you did it for the least of these, anybody, you were doing it to me. So it's out of that love and gratitude that I always thought as this work that we were doing was really about our graciousness and gratitude to the Lord, right? However, I always struggled with how come we are not out there marching? How come we are not out there calling out the, 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 the racism or the biases that we say? How come we weren't doing it? And I understand that's that at that time our thinking was, well, that's not really the word of God. We really shouldn't be delving into anything outside of feeding the hungry, right? Um, you know, the fatherless, the widow that we always believe we shouldn't be doing anything else. And so uh, because I was just a little bit younger, I couldn't wait to get out there and march for something, anything, right? Um, I participated in the Margaret Fuller neighborhood house, which was right in my neighborhood because I lived two doors from the church. Um, When the Black Panthers came, I was really just a wannabe Black Panther. You know, I wasn't quite old enough, but I helped in the kitchen, the soup kitchen, in the programs, because that was my heart, that we need to do something about the situation. Prayer was good, but we needed to take action. And that was important to me. And so my search was really for an answer that says, isn't it the responsibility of the church to be an integral part of the neighborhood, not just serving it? that we need to be part and parcel. And so, you know, I the, the scripture that I'm um, putting up today is Deuteronomy 10, 18, where it says, you know, this is Moses has, um, 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 Moses in this, in the entire book of Deuteronomy is reminding them of where they've come, right? Those first books in the Bible, you know, Leviticus tells us you shall do this and you shall do that what we get in Deuteronomy is a reminder, reminder of how God brought them out of slavery. It's a reminder that, um, that how they should approach God, that he, he it was laid out so that they understood how they should worship the Lord. And they were also reminded that they had a responsibility to others. And so Deuteronomy 10.18 says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So I grew up that we, you know, really understanding that it was really Christ's Christ's sacrifice for us is why we do that. So I was looking for some uh, mandates that says, you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be doing more than this. Not that this isn't important because we don't want people to starve. We want people to be clothed. We shouldn't dismiss this, but there is more. And I'm hoping that uh, where we go today, we will we can elevate some of our work to really thinking about how do we move on issues in the city in particular. If you can see the, that we have a slide on the city of Cambridge. And if you look, you'll see Area 4 as a number and Area 5. They're right next to each other. And in some ways, they... they have some similarities um, as well as some really distinct differences. I want you to take a look at Area 8 because I want to bring that back to our attention a little later on. So I grew up in what was the port, and then it became Area 4, and now it is the port again. Um, And I grew up with people with surnames like Gallagher, Mahoney, Susan, Souza, Cavallo, Zagarella, the best Little League coach in America. He was the best Little League coach. I, every child, my son played Little League under him, and he was so positive. I mean, we had people like that. Um, Zemeski, Karpolis, Weinstein, Klein. Um, and the churches in the neighborhood really reflect this immigrant community. Right. PT North is an affirmatively Swedish church. We had, and in terms of the houses of worship, we had synagogues. There were two of them at the time when I was a child. There's now one. We had one Catholic church, a large church. We had um, Presbyterian, you you name it. They were there was some, there was a church for everybody, for every immigrant group who's lived in the neighborhood. There was a place where they could go and worship. And uh, in addition to that, we now have the Islamic Center of Boston, a, a mosque that's right still in the neighborhood. It's not someplace else, it's right there, and they're growing. The neighborhood is a small one. This only takes about a third of a square mile. That's it. It's a small neighborhood. But many of our of the demographics of the neighborhood are similar to the city as a whole. Um, But there's some things that stand apart from other neighborhoods. It is a neighborhood that has a lot of poor people. In fact, um, we have a high proportion of children than many other neighborhoods as a percentage of the population. And we have a diverse racial mix. In fact, I often say that this is the most diverse neighborhood in Cambridge. It's the only neighborhood in which no single race makes up a majority of the population. So this is a diverse neighborhood, though I, as I was doing the research for this, I saw some signs that says that may not, that may not continue. Right. And when I was growing up, the black community was on the other side of Mass Avenue. Right. And now this neighborhood, even though it doesn't have any single race that dominates, it has seems to have suited some politicians to call us the black community, even though I'm not sure if he read the report, but we are not the black community, right? Um, but, you know, I get it about politics. I get it about the points that people really want to make. It, in Cambridge Port, let me just sort of give you a brief sort of overview of that. Then um, that neighborhood also had farms toward the river. There were a few large farms. And so we have this sort of empty space, which is now there's more housing, there's more technology. And so my mother used to call that area that's where the cottage farm was. And the bridge used to be called the cottage farm bridge, right? 65% of all the people of the neighborhood, 65% of the adults in the neighborhood have an advanced graduate degree, meaning masters and PhDs, right? The neighborhood that I grew up in still has, um, Well, it's a little less, it's 80% have finished high school, the average in the na- in the city is 90%. So there are some disparities there that I think that we need to pay atten- attention to. Um, although this is now my adopted neighborhood, I've moved here about a year ago, it reminds me so much of what I used to experience when I was in the port. The building right across uh, next to the office for PT, you would have about 18 children. I had automatic, because I lived across the street, I would have automatic friends. Didn't have to leave anywhere. And my mother was quite happy about that. Didn't need to go around the corner. I didn't have to visit friends. I could have my friends right there. And so I think what we see, if you look at both neighborhoods, one is clearly more urban, but it also had the greatest diversity. I learned a lot about people in other parts of the world and food. In fact, there's a book that was written that our families included. It's called Everybody Cooks Rice. And it was a neighbor who just couldn't believe that we'd have these picnics and there was all this rice all over the place. Um, so, I, But I want to just, before I go too far, I want to give you just a bit of a history that really says that the church really is part and parcel of the whole neighborhood. Well, this is New England, Every city town had a town center. It would have a common early on, which was an open space. It would have a church and over time churches. It would have a meeting place and a local town hall. Right. Um, One of the pieces that I read said, don't forget the tavern, because they were sometimes the tavern was just as important as those others. But the essentials of a meeting place, a town hall and a church was vital, which meant the church was a big influencer in what happened. They were part and parcel of what was going on in the town. They were part of every discussion. Your, the pastor might teach school, and another member, of farmer, might, might teach Sunday school. I mean, this was the town life, and a lot of it served um, around the community. But I want to also say that... Um, that churches were often influenced by the changes that was going on in their community. So they were influenced, but they were also influenced in in ways that I would say um, was was unfortunate. So mostly the growth by immigrants from Europe, and certainly the issues of slavery, we begin to see where different immigrant groups were pushed to have their, their church, not the house of God, in another part of town, not in the center of town. Um, we also see that um, that you're, we could begin to see the connection between your ethnicity, your immigrant status, and where you worshipped. It really meant that we begin to see segregation everywhere. Mm-hmm. And those towns, which, although they're predominantly white, many of them had their different churches because Uh, They believed in God and they worshiped God and they wanted to be able to worship God. And and sometimes they wanted to worship God with people who spoke the same language. Sometimes they wanted to worship um, uh, because, you know, uh, if you weren't a Christian church, you would have to build the synagogue, would have to be built outside of the city. But as the increase of newcomers began to threaten the way of life, people were then encouraged to move on. And so it is, if you walk around any place in Cambridge, Harvard Square, the church, that church, first church is right there, right? Um, The meeting house was probably someplace else. I mean, certainly we've gotten bigger, but it doesn't take more than a 10 minute drive to go to Arlington and see that Arlington Square to see that um, Winchester and other towns have the same setup right? And now what we have in particular, Cambridge is often called a house, a um, it's called a city of squares. So in addition to Harvard Square, we've got Porter Square and Kendall Square and Central Square and Inman Square, all these squares that the same thing, they would have a meeting place, sometimes a tavern, definitely a church as part of the makeup of that city. So that says to me, that the role of the church is significant in the development of any community. We don't sort of, it's not to just serve. And I don't want to put down serving, it's important. But there's more for us. I want to just say a a quick word, I'm looking at my time here, about church steeples. They've had churches also became a communication center, right? They're, They're between bells that would tell you what time of day it was and that it was time for you to come to church. It was time for you to go to bed. The bells and the steeples, many of them would have a large round window that would, um, where lanterns were used. So even as a colony in this country, Massachusetts, when we wanted to know, to get ready to fight the British, the old South church, lanterns were was put up to let the folks know that the British were coming not only that they were coming, but how they were getting there. One if by land, two if by sea. And if you went to school here, you'll, you've you learned the midnight rite of Paul Revere. We're not going to do that. But it is, it just says from the very beginning, churches were significant. And they were an important part of this. Um, our own church, and I wasn't able to get a, uh, in time, because before we sort of did the renovations, you couldn't really tell we have a window just below the steeple that looks down toward the river. And a couple of us have speculated, was there a significant reason why it doesn't face Central Square, but it faces the river? Since all of this has been filled in, perhaps it was to let people know that, you know what, the floods are riding coming up from the Charles, right? I, I don't have the historic record, but those windows were designed for a purpose. And so I just think it's in, important that we see that this is a long history that we need to pay attention to. Um, Outside of cities and towns, I just want to move quickly um, that for African-Americans, that the importance and the creation of, of the Black church is really, I think, fulfills that role of what the church should be. You know, as people became... Progressive, or they became prosperous. You can see how the role of the church declined. But in freed slaves and in African American communities, it was vital. It was vital. And not only did they do the work of feeding the poor and the hungry, and they would have Sunday school, and they would have church school, and they would have all kinds of things, they also supported businesses. They also led this country in civil rights. Without civil rights, without the church, there would have been no civil rights movement. It had to come from the church because that is the foundation of every any community. And that's the best example that I can tell you. If you want to really see the importance of the church, look at the black community. And still, it hasn't changed. All right? Now, clearly, PT is now a multiracial, multilingual, multi you know intergenerational church it is a result of the ability for people of different races and colors to really worship together as one and that was i don't know whose prayer that was but i did know the prayer that we said that we said many many years ago god bring people from the north the south the east and the west maybe some folks might be thinking right now i wish you had said Come, go to the east, go to the west, because we are right here. But we have two campuses because God wants us to have a significant role in this city and in these neighborhoods. Most churches who have a second campus, they have it in another city or another town. Ours is right here. That is not by chance. Um, so I, I want us to understand the importance of that and our in our in our churches. So we have been quite practical so in terms of we have given to schools we've, we've supported the police and the firefighters we've given we've done breakfast for the employees of city hall that is our first steps and having a significant role in the city we had church members who reside in, in the neighborhoods of both campuses and so that we have to really do that um I wanted to say that what that means, what does that mean for PT, is that we need to start making some next steps in this direction of biblical justice, that we need to make the steps where we can call out. In fact, when I was um, talking to a neighbor whose child goes to one of the high schools, I guess because of all of the pandemic, people are hurting everywhere. And there are fights breaking out in her child's school. Says, you know what? If your clergy would come and be at the school, we would love that because our children need people, adults, not just because they're men, but we need adults who care about them, who love them and feel that they're important. So when I was, again, as I'm saying, as I'm moving towards looking at justice, I, um, I found Isaiah 117. And that whole chapter is Isaiah, Basically, giving God's people a tongue lashing. You're not doing right. You got blood on your hands. You've got all these moons and festivals, and you're still not doing right. Right? So he calls them out. But what does he do right after that? Just this is at 16. It says, Wash and make yourselves clean and take your evil deeds out of my sight. But then this is what he tells them to do do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Those are actions that he's saying the church needs to take. Yes, serve them, clothe them, feed them, but we need to do the other. They go hand in hand that we need to call out when we see injustice in our schools. I mean, Cambridge needs justice. You know, we um, and that's and actually following that verse before I forget. The verse 18 is um, some version says the beginning of 18 says, let us reason together or let us settle the matter. What I say is, let's do it. Let's just follow Nike's motto. Let's just do it because time is not waiting for us. And what we're seeing is a situation where in this country, we in many areas, we are falling apart Mm -hmm. and we need to step up. So, um, as I think about all the things that we've done this year, I, we are prepared for it. We've been. We are a church of prayer. Mm-hmm. We are. We are a sending church. We have so many young people who come here that when they leave, they will not forget what it means to care not just about the poor but about communities and neighborhoods. And that's why we should care. So we have, you know, clearly members of our congregation who don't live in Cambridge, but they should care because that's the call of the church. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, that it's nice that they're, that, you know, it's, it's nice that we want everybody to come from wherever they are. But the call of the church is to be engaged in community. And I'm running out of time here. Okay. So what do we do? So I want to talk, of, say just one thing about uh, social justice and biblical justice. What's begun to happen, you know, social justice is focuses on access equal rights for everyone human rights right and given what's been going on in the country in this last few years sometimes it means social justice by any means necessary we don't have that luxury biblical justice means we just do the right thing whether the people like it whether it's not but the right thing we cannot say well Look, they've been doing this for years, and now it's Archer. No, it's not. That's not justice. That's retribution. That's retribution. And I, I began thinking about this when, um, and I'll end after this, when I had a, um, I was, I was, uh, do you everybody remembers uh, the Karen Cooper and Christian Cooper, Central Park, and the dog. So after the incident, where she called, was threatened to call the police and whatnot, she, um, and everybody saw it. It went viral. She lost, it took her dog. They did give it back. She was charged with making, a um, making a wrongful claim. Uh, that's not the right words, but you got what I'm saying. And she was charged. And once she served, she had to go to classes where she would learn how to not, how to not fa- file a false report. So she did that. But And most of us weren't done with her. Because when I was talking to my friend, they said, girl, they haven't done enough. She lost her job. It wasn't enough. There were people standing outside of her door. It wasn't enough. And when I said, you know what? This isn't really justice. Oh, yes, it is. Because she knew what she was doing. And I talked to three or four people. I said, I want to share this because I think we're kind of happy with what happened to her. But that wasn't justice. It wasn't social justice either. It was retribution. And what's happening in this canceled culture, that if you do wrong, we're not going to let you go. We're going to be judge and jury. We're going to prosecute you. We're going to persecute you so that nothing you can, no, there's no way that you can be forgiven or be redeemed. That's not justice. And we really do have to stand for justice. I'm so glad this is virtual because I don't know what's going to happen when I leave and when people hear my <laughs> saying that, um, that she was mistreated because that's right. And if we continue to allow what's considered justice to persecute people, then what are we doing? And I know we as Christians get it, but if as we move, and this is why this is a bit of a warning, as we move into the direction of trying to um, begin to call out policies, begin to look at why is the knowledge gap between African-American and other children in this city growing? Why is that knowledge gap? We need to be calling it out. More than just throwing some more money at it, we need to be calling it out. We need to be asking for accountability. That's what the church can do, right? And that's where we need to go. And so I in that I will, in that uh, there is um, Leviticus 1915 says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Make just decisions. That's really what we need to do if we're going to heal this country is about not being partial. And what has happened, But I get it about the incredible racism and the things that people have done. But we're never going to heal if what we're doing is say, well, she deserved it because I know this wasn't her first time. This is the Karen, her first time doing this. It doesn't matter if it was her 10th time. What happened to her was not justice, right? And justice is what we need to stand for, not to get caught up in the movement of making things happen just because, you know, we're going to do it by any means necessary. And that is important. So let me briefly end with this because I know I'm over time now. Um, And I want to sort of end this really looking at Amos 524. And again, he's calling them out. that chapter, it was, he was calling them to lament and repent. And he was saying, you're, you're, you bring me burnt offerings. You've done this. It's, Uh, That's not what God is asking for. And though you bring me fellowship offerings, I have no regard regard from them, saith the Lord. Away with your noise of songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But together, we can let justice roll. And this is 524. It's famous because Martin Luther King often used it. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. That's what we need to be about, to put ourselves together so that we can let justice roll, that we're not always fighting, we're not always in some contention, and no matter what is happening, we do what is right. It's the only way that God can bless us as a church, is by doing the right thing. Thank you.
1: Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Dr. Mary, for that wonderful formative message. And basically you may be saying, Well, Bishop, yeah. Bishop, why why are you why why are we talking about this subject of uh biblical justice and why are we talking particularly about why PT needs to care about Cambridge? Why PT needs to be more involved with the city of cambridge Uh, you'll be hearing more about uh, how what i feel god is calling us to do in this city Uh, but the main scripture i want you to focus on is what jesus said in matthew chapter 5 verse 13 to 16. he said you are the salt of the earth Right. and if you notice Our website is ptspice.org. Nobody puts spices, whether it's pepper or curry powder or garlic salt or whatever. When you put spices on food, you expect the spice to have an effect on the food. And my point is, is that... If we are called as a church to be salt in Cambridge, then PT, our church needs to have an effect on the city of Cambridge. So we'll be talking more about that, but I wanna encourage you. Obviously many of you realize online that uh, we had some online difficulties and no, it is what it is. But the point is, is that when you get a chance, listen to the sermon again, when you get a chance, uh, tell other people, particularly who are part of our church community, that they need to hear this sermon because where we're heading and where we're going, I believe that God has called us to have an impact in the city of Cambridge. Jeremiah chapter twenty-nine, I believe it is a twenty-eight, says, "Pray for the welfare of the city that you're located in, because if that city prospers, then you yourself, as a congregation and a people, will prosper." Well, God bless you. And I want to close with this closing prayer, our closing blessing. Those of you who are familiar with our church, you know that we don't give a closing prayer or benediction. We give a closing blessing. So we ask that you put out your hands. The scripture says that every good gift, uh, James chapter one, verse 17, uh, perfect gift comes from above. So we, we put our hands out because we're receiving a blessing from the Lord. And it's based on Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May he look after you, shield you, defend you, and take care of you. May the Lord make his face to shine, grin, and beam, and show his pleasure on you. May the Lord be gracious, kind-hearted, and pleasant, and compassionate to you. May the Lord show you his favor that will promote you, appreciate you, support you, side with you as you side with him. And finally, may the Lord give you his shalom his peace, his rest, his harmony, his calmness, his composure, his prosperity, and his success. And may the Lord remove anything this week that causes agitation or discord with his divine purpose and destiny for your life. I bless you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And everybody say, I receive that blessing.
0: blessing. Have
1: a great week. God bless you and hope to see you this Friday and this Sunday. Right. Bless the Lord. Amen. Amen. We had some technical difficulties. Have a great week. God bless you. Hope to see you this Friday. This bless the Lord. We had some technical difficulties. Have a great week. God bless you. Hope to see you this Friday.